0: Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and welcome to episode 100 of ADHD for Smart Ass Women. It's actually rather fitting that the creation of episode 100 is literally coming right in the middle of the Thanksgiving holiday. In fact, I started outlining this on the day before Thanksgiving. You know, I had planned on just blowing through it. Who cares that it's our 100th episode? Isn't that so ADHD of me? We don't know how to celebrate our successes and I'm no different than most of you, but my friend Sandra wouldn't hear of it. Unlike me, she's a huge celebrator of birthdays and anniversaries and special events. And so she guilted me into creating a special 100th episode. And I didn't know what to do it on. But as I was chatting with her, I decided that what I was going to do was go through the 99 episodes that I've recorded and choose the things that I learned from this podcast that have had the most impact on me. Now, that was a great thought, but when I started to dig in, it was really overwhelming. (laughs) There was so much content, it was crazy. I mean, it was basically two years of research and two years of work. So I decided to do two things. Number one, I had to come back to myself more and really think about the way I think about ADHD today as compared to two years ago, or I should say as compared to, because it hasn't even been two years. It'll be two years at the end of January. So as it compares to a hundred episodes ago is, is probably a better way of saying it. And so I asked myself, What were the key thoughts that I learned along the way that really resonated with me? So it became more about those little nuggets that have stayed with me, or maybe they haven't stayed with me. Like maybe I've actually forgotten them, but now after going through notes from 99 episodes, these are the things that I need to revisit, that I need to remember, because they really formed my personal understanding of what ADHD looks like for me Today. So throughout this episode, you're going to hear me shout out the word key thought, (laughs) and that might help you to pay better attention in this episode because I'm going to be going all over the place. Okay. The second thing that I decided to do is I had to break this down into more than one podcast episode. It was far too long. So what I'm going to do is you're going to get part one today. And then next week, I'll come back with part two, which will basically be episode 100B, but I'm going to call it episode 101. The other thing is I wanted to also leave you with a 100th episode gift. Over the last couple of months, you know, I'll go to look for an episode in the podcast. I look on Libsyn, which is where we... I don't even know what it's called, but it's where our podcast lives, and then it goes out to all the other different platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and I can't remember all the other ones. Anyway, over the last couple of months, I'll go look for an episode in the podcast, and I am just completely overwhelmed. There are so many episodes. And so I decided that you're probably struggling with exactly what I'm struggling with. So what we've done is we've created a podcast index that I will share with you at the end of this podcast. And this is my gift to you. It is a way for you to find things more easily in our podcast. So what we've done is we've broken the podcast down into categories. And those categories are change your perspective, change your life, initial diagnoses, emotion, That's related to ADHD. You know, all those things like repetitive body, wait, what's it called? Repetitive body focused behaviors. Yeah, that's what it's called. That's, you know, so many women were like, oh my gosh, yeah, I do the skin picking thing. I pull my hair and I bite my fingernails. They had no idea that that was related to ADHD. So that's another category that's related to ADHD. Productivity and workarounds is another category. Then we've got smart ass ADHD women. Those are all the lovely, amazing, brilliant, brained ADHD women who have graced me with their presence by being a guest. And then our final category is kids, teens, parenting and learning. So this should make it so much easier to find episodes that you're looking for. So there's your 100th episode gift and I'll let you know where you can find that at the end of this episode. So before I start with episode 100, I want to say a couple of things first. The number one thing that this podcast did teach me was the importance of action in quieting my brain and knowing exactly what I need to do next. Please know I didn't plan any of this. Not even two years ago, I just decided to create a podcast about ADHD and women that was strength focused because I couldn't find one. There was so much that I didn't know, but the idea, didn't know about ADHD, I should add, the idea was that I wanted accountability around my ADHD learning. Like many of you, I'm a lifelong learner, but this was the difference. If I had declared an interest in learning that was open-ended without accountability, I'm certain that it would have fallen by the wayside. As I've said before many times, I'm good at disappointing myself, making a commitment to myself and not keeping it. But this is the thing. I'll disappoint myself, but I will never disappoint you. So I built guardrails. I decided to get visible because if I announced to the world that I was going to show up every week with a podcast episode about research I had done around ADHD, I knew that I would do it. And who knew it would take off like this? And I still don't know where it'll ultimately end up, do I? You've probably also heard me say that I believe that ADHD women try much too hard to fit in. And by doing that, they're just setting themselves up for failure. Why? Because we're never going to fit in. We don't fit in because we're meant to stand out. That is my true belief. And here with this podcast, I totally followed my own advice for once, as terrifying as that was. Not only did I have to announce to the world that I was ADHD, but I was also creating a podcast on a subject that I knew little about. I wasn't an expert on ADHD. Remember, I'm a lawyer, not a doctor. I hadn't even gone through ADHD coach training at that point. Here I was going up against this idea, going up against medical experts, no less, that ADHD is a disorder rather than a difference in brain wiring. Remember that psychologist who told me and my husband that our job as parents of an ADHD son was to reduce his very ambitious nature, because if we didn't, he would be disappointed in life? Yeah. All I knew was that I wanted a community. That is literally what gave me the moxie, the schutzpa, the insanity to do this. I wanted to find you. I just knew that there were other women like me out there. I just didn't know where they were. But what I did know is that if I just jumped and made myself visible before long, you would know that I was your people. And then you would reach out in the form of mail, emails and direct mails and texts and speakpipe messages. And you would let me know that you were my people. In fact, I think my word for the year when I started this podcast was nervy. And I chose that word because when I was a kid, I remember when I would do something especially obnoxious or nervy, my mother would look at me and say, young lady, you have some nerve. And in truth, that comment never intimidated me. I rather liked it. I liked being thought of as nervy. And sure, I wanted to educate myself about ADHD. But again, what I really cared about was finding that community, finding you. And I had no idea it would lead to anything, certainly not being in the top 10% of all podcasts on any subject, being the number one podcast for ADHD women, having a 20,000 plus member Facebook group, becoming trained as an ADCA ADHD coach, getting to work with hundreds of ADHD women in my coaching program, your ADHD brain is A-OK, and witnessing their transformations, which is nothing short of amazing I didn't know it would lead to my new planner, AOK Every Day, or even writing for Attitude Magazine. I never planned any of it. It just unfolded naturally. And I want you to know that none of this happened until my daughter left for college. I didn't start this in my 20s or 30s. This was definitely a second act. So I guess my point is that I am absolutely certain that if I can do this, so can you. You know, I hear from a lot of women in their 40s and 50s or older through my AOK program who say I'm too old. Bullshit. You're the perfect age to do whatever it is that you really want to do. You have so much wisdom, so much experience, so much grace, but you just have to start. And I'm going to talk more about this in one of the podcast episodes that I'm going to bring up. So dream big, but start really small. What else can I tell you? How about gold stars? Look, I am the product of a Japanese-American father and a German mother. It was all about humility in my family. I remember my dad not liking Muhammad Ali, you know, the boxer, because he was so confident. My dad called him a show off by the way he likes him now. Bragging, being outspoken about what you do well, this was frowned upon, certainly in my family. But this is exactly what our brains need. We need gold stars. When we do something well, we need to learn to talk about it, to hear ourselves talking about it, to pause and really reflect on, hey, I am good at that. Look at what I did. You know, we now know that it takes five good things to counterbalance one negative thing. Our brains just automatically go to that one bad thing. I can have 25 positive messages about my podcast, but heaven forbid if I find one or three nasty comments on Reddit, that is all I remember. By the way, I don't go to Reddit anymore. (laughs) Someone can compliment me on all the great things I've done and just in an offhand manner, give me a recommendation for something I could do to make something better, which is so great, right? That they would tell me. And my problem is I'll still fixate on the latter. And I guess what I want to say is, I don't think that's all bad. Because I'm the way I am, I really care about constantly making things better, which is also an ADHD thing, now isn't it? This podcast also helped me to take a stand on what expert advice I was going to take in. Again, if I want to learn how to surf, I am not going to go seek out an instructor, someone who will teach me, that has never surfed before. So why would I put my health into someone else's hands that hasn't experienced what I've experienced? He or she, frankly, they haven't served. So the experts that I primarily go to are medical experts like Sarah Soltan and Kathleen Ngeau and Ellen Lippmann and Patricia Quinn and Edward Hallowell and John Brady and Dale Archer, Carolyn McGuire, David Guerrick. and the list goes on and on. Because there are so many experts today who also have ADHD. And those are the experts who see ADHD in a much more strength-focused way. So let's get started. Episode number one is titled, Tracy Atsuka Shares Her ADHD Story and Her ADHD Superpowers. So in my first podcast, I talked about a theory that works for me. And I've seen enough evidence to support it, so I'm going with it, despite the fact that Russell Barkley regularly bashes this theory. It's Thomas Hartman's hunter versus farmer theory. I personally believe that ADHD is in part evolutionary. I think those of us with ADHD are leftover hunters in a farmer's world. You know, about 9% of kids in the United States have been diagnosed with ADHD. Yet only 5% of kids in the rest of the world have ADHD. And so people use this difference to point out the fact that ADHD is overdiagnosed in the United States. I don't think it is. And none of the research seems to indicate that. And this makes perfect sense to me because we are a nation of immigrants. Who else would leave their homeland and all their family and get on a boat and risk everything for who knows what, but someone with ADHD we are high stimulation people? And I'm certain that all the explorers we learned about in grade school, they had ADHD too. And by the way, John Rady helped edit Thomas Hartman's book, ADHD and the Edison G. So I know I'm not the only one that believes this. For those who believe that there's no such thing as ADHD, hello, France. Although there are cracks that are starting to appear, and I can't even begin to tell you the amount of members who asked to join our Facebook group that are now from France, Anyway, what I was starting to say is that the existence and impact of ADHD has been validated for decades by the National Institute of Health, the U.S. Surgeons General, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatry Association, brain imaging studies, genetic studies, twin studies. There is no question that ADHD exists. 4.5% of adults have ADHD, although that figure is thought to be underreported because 85% of kids with ADHD don't outgrow it. 90% of women have not been diagnosed. So what makes ADHD so hard to diagnose is that brain wiring is unique in every individual, but especially in those of us with ADHD. We all have our own unique combination of traits, right? So it looks different in everyone. There are experts with ADHD in finance, in engineering, in medicine, in law, as well as in the visual arts, music, fashion, They're everywhere. There is this idea that if you're successful and if you're at the pinnacle of your career, you can't have ADHD, totally untrue. Most of these people don't know they even have ADHD and they're in environments that allow them to be successful with their ADHD. We need to hear from more of them. So here's my first key thought. Guilt is when you feel bad about what you did. Shame is when you feel bad about who you are. There is more shame among ADHD women than among any other group. This is what needs to change and has been my mission with this podcast, my Facebook group, my coaching program, everything that I do. When we're given opportunities to feel hopeful, when we see others who are successful, not despite their ADHD, but because of their ADHD, then we know we can do it too. So if you're successful because of your ADHD, I want you here on this podcast because your story inspires other women to go for it too. Key sentence, ADHD brains are wired for interest, not importance. It's not that we won't pay attention to what we're not interested in. It's that we can't no matter how important it is that we do so. Remember that light switch? You've probably all seen that meme, right? There's a light switch and there's an up and there's a down. And the up is utterly obsessed and the down is completely uninterested. That is exactly the ADHD brain. We have two speeds. We're either utterly obsessed by something and go down the hyperfocus rabbit hole, or we're completely uninterested and can't even start. We are genetically programmed to be endlessly inquisitive. And so we all have a few areas in life where we demonstrate none of the executive functioning impairments that we show in all other areas that we're not interested in. Key thought, ADHD is highly heritable. It's more heritable than anxiety disorders, and it's almost as heritable as height. So if a parent has it, there's at least a 50% chance that the child is going to have it too. However, It may look completely different from person to person, even in the same family. It can also skip a generation, which means your ADHD could be inherited from a grandparent or a great aunt instead of your parents. ADHD, it's not like being pregnant where you either are or you're not. It's more like height or intelligence where there are varying degrees and different people are going to fall in different places on the spectrum. That means that some of us can have symptoms that are so slight that we're not really impaired by it. I think there are a lot of women like that who kind of skate by and then they hit midlife and the train falls off the rails. If you're intelligent, you can hide it. And you don't even know you're doing that, right? You just work that much harder than everybody else. This is exactly why ADHD is so hard to diagnose and why so many smart girls fall through the cracks. Now I'm going to go into episode number three, kids and ADHD, why their journey is important. So every child wants to do well in school. So if your child isn't doing well, they can't keep up. They're forgetting their homework. They're forgetting their books at school. They're not turning their homework in. They're not paying attention in school. They are not being defiant. They do not have a character flaw or a moral failing. They don't know how to do it. ADHD is, here's another key thought, not a behavioral disorder. Self-control isn't learned. It's a neurobiological trait. So you can't blame bad parenting, teachers, laziness, TV, video games, smartphones, the times we live in, a lack of discipline, or a bad diet as a cause for ADHD. ADHD is an executive functioning challenge based in biology. That means that we need to show our ADHD kids how to shore up their executive functions how to learn how to see time, how to learn how to plan, how to learn how to schedule, how to learn how to turn in their homework, how to learn to pay attention better, how to learn how to control their emotions. If they could do better, they would. Enough of the shaming. They feel bad enough about the fact that they can't do some of these simple things that their peers can do. ADHD kids are brilliant in something. Figure out where their brilliance lies and support them there. No amount of nagging or shaming or terrifying them is going to work. Key thought, if ADHD kids and also adults are not in positive emotion, they will not have success. When they're in negative emotion, when you're nagging and shaming them, they're already in their head. They're already beating themselves up more than you could ever beat them up. So why would you add to this? It's cruel and it doesn't work. Parents, get creative. Ask yourself, how can you make what they need to get done fun and challenging for them? How can you help them get done what they need to get done by generating positive emotion? They're often up against a school system that doesn't understand their brain and frankly doesn't much care to learn how their brain works. They need you more than anyone in their corner fighting for them. Key thought, when ADHD kids are not interested, that is when they struggle. That also explains why you can have kids that have A's in certain subjects and F's in others. When these kids are interested, they don't have those same executive function impairments. And you can see these kids really struggling in school, right? Of course they're struggling. They're learning what their teachers tell them is important to learn. They're learning what their parents tell them is important to learn. But the problem is it's not important to them. It's not interesting to them. Again, it's about interest, not importance. One of the things that scientists now agree upon is that, key thought, one of our biggest strengths is ideation. We are idea machines. We have the ability to take disparate concepts and combine them to come up with interesting ways of solving all kinds of problems in this world. Hello, most of the entrepreneurs in our world, 60% of which have ADHD. We need our kids to first and foremost understand their strengths, and ideation is always one of their biggest. Podcast number four, the one trait that everyone with ADHD has, well, What we all have in common is a unique ADHD nervous system. The hallmark of the ADHD nervous system is inconsistent attention and an inability to self-regulate. We struggle to calm ourselves down when we're upset and cheer ourselves up. Key thought, and this is a big one. It's not that we have more emotion than a neurotypical brained individual. It's that we feel things more intensely than they do. Our ADHD nervous system is responsible for our intensity. It's also a nervous system that works well within within its own set of rules. ADHD is often associated with learning disorders. In fact, ADHD expert William Dodson, he's the one who's done much of the research on RSD, rejection-sensitive dysphoria. We will certainly get into that on this podcast. He finds that most people with ADHD have significantly higher than average IQs. And that's no surprise since again, scientists now agree that ideation is among our greatest strengths, right? We're ideation machines. Key thought, we also don't have a shortage of attention. We actually have a surplus of attention. We pay too much attention to everything. And we have so many ideas swimming around in our brains. Our problem is that we know we're smart and creative. And when I'm talking about creativity, I'm not just talking about visual or performing arts. I'm again, I'm talking about ideation. Our problem is we don't know if those abilities are gonna show up when we need them to show up. The fact that our abilities come and go throughout the day, well, that's ADHD. So what we all have in common is this inconsistency in focus and attention and intensity around emotion. We're disorganized in part because we don't think linearly. And most organizational systems are built on prioritization and time management, both things that few of us with ADHD do well on. So what's our workaround? Again, it's interest. Remember, our ADHD brains are wired for interest, not importance. So that's exactly how we can get around our inconsistency in focus and attention. Again, we have an interest-based nervous system. No wonder those with ADHD can't function in a boring job. Their boss tells them what to do, and people with ADHD don't like being told what to do. And actually, this is for good reason, because their way doesn't work for us. It doesn't matter to you what your parents, your teachers, your boss, your spouse, your boyfriend, society thinks is important. It matters what you think is important. When we focus on what we're interested in, we can usually pop into hyperfocus. When we're able to hyperfocus, there's no stopping us because we will work harder than anyone and become more expert in our area of interest and much quicker than the neurotypical brain person ever can. This is exactly where we can compete and dominate in our area of interest. Episode number eight, why am I always late? You know, I used to beat myself up all the time because I was always late. I remember as an attorney traveling down to LA with my boss and I would have never been late for a deposition or something important related to work, but getting to the airport on time, oh my gosh, it happened all the time. And it wasn't getting to the airport when I was flying out. No, it was getting to the airport on time when I was flying back home. So yeah, I miss planes getting home. And my boss would just go and leave and I would be left to try to figure out on a Friday night what would be the quickest you know, flight that I could get on to be able to get back home. And I always explain this away by, Ugh, it must be a character flaw. It must be a moral failing. How could I make people wait for me if I really cared? Oh my gosh, I'm so rude. Learning that I was time blind, one of the executive functions that we ADHDers struggle with was huge for me. Like everything in ADHD, being time blind, it's on a continuum. Like my ADHD son, he's never late. If I'm on time, it's an accident. And I'm not an hour late anymore. It's usually just a few minutes, but it's still something that I struggle with. I mean, even showing up for these Zoom meetings, I can't stand to be early. So I literally just kind of log on right at the last second, which means I'm usually a minute late, sometimes two minutes late. But just the thought of sitting there on Zoom, it just seems like such a waste of time. For some of us, like me, time has to be learned. We have to literally learn how to see and feel time. And learning about that was just huge for me. Beyond this, if we're easily distracted and we shift into hyperfocus, one hour can feel like five minutes. I mean, can you all relate to, you know, running out of the house and you're totally on time And then you remember to do that one last thing. In fact, you're early, right? You're five minutes early. You're so proud of yourself. And you remember, okay, oh, my gosh, I have that one last thing. I need to do it. So you sit down to do it, thinking it'll take you 30 seconds. And suddenly, you look up, and it's been 15 minutes or longer. Then add in your working memory issues, and you're totally screwed, right? Because we can't remember. Okay, wait, now, what time was that meeting? At least I know I can't. So we have all of those things playing against us. We actually have trouble, on top of all this, feeling ourselves into the future. We tend to be in the moment. We don't feel the urgency of the future coming until it's literally there right in front of us. No wonder motivation is a problem, huh? Also, we argue with time a lot. You know, I can do it tomorrow. It's not that important. I don't feel like it right now. I'll feel like it more tomorrow. On top of this, we're time optimists. I always think that things will take me less time than they actually take me. And sometimes it's ridiculous. Like I will think, oh, that'll take me an hour to get done. And it literally takes me half a day. Key thought, time and emotional dysregulation go hand in hand because it's our feelings about time that causes us the struggle, right? We never feel like we have enough time. We know that we can't manage it well. We know that um, it goes by so quickly at times and so slowly at other times. We just, we struggle with it. We also have problems feeling ourselves into the future. Then there's the fact that we like to stay with things until they're done, right? We finally get there. We start, which is always the hardest part for us. We pop into hyperfocus. And then once we start, we can't stop. Time and emotional regulation also go hand in hand because we prefer to live in an unconstrained flow of time where we can smoothly move from one thing to another when we feel like it. That's a natural flow for our brain, but it doesn't work so well in our farmer-driven society where, you know, is about planning and scheduling, and honestly, everything's controlled by time. Episode number nine. Practical strategies for being on time and planning better. Well, I have to tell you that I was shocked to discover that I could actually teach myself to see and feel time using the time timer or my Datex cube. Now, I also learned that there are three ways to motivate our brains, interest, fear, or challenge. Challenge works really well for me around time. I have a waterproof clock in my shower and I play beat the clock. I put it on five minutes and I try to get out in under five minutes. So before that buzzer rings, I've got another clock on my bathroom mirror and I play the same game. I mean, I used to think that ah, I could get ready in, oh, I don't know, 15 minutes. Yeah. Once I actually took the time to time myself, I realized that, yeah, try double or tripling that at times, Right. The Apple Watch. That is probably my best discovery for managing my ADHD brain. I use alarms. That means that I no longer wash one load of laundry three times. It also means that I'm not burning food on the stove, and I am much less concerned about burning my house down. I also have Google Calendar on my Apple Watch that links to Tiny Calendar. And so what happens is I get all of my meetings on my watch. Alexa is linked to my Google Calendar. It talks to my Amazon Echo. It reminds me out loud 10 minutes before all appointments. I also learned about body doubling, you know, having someone come sit with you. They're doing their own work. I mean, it's harder to do it today because what I used to do is I'd go to a coffee shop. I always had this FOMO, fear of missing out. And so for me to sit at my desk all by myself, I just couldn't start. Versus I realized that if I went into a coffee shop, there were tons of people working around me. And for me, their chatter was literally white noise, but it allowed me to start. And I knew that once I started, I would pop into hyperfocus, and then my problem would be quitting. Episode number 10 was all about ADHD and exercise. So many of you know that medication didn't work for me, but I discovered that exercise did. And when I say it didn't work for me, it was just that the symptoms became worse than the symptoms of the medication, became worse than the symptoms of the ADHD. It really ratcheted up my anxiety. In fact, I think it created my anxiety. So my research for this podcast episode led me to the book Spark by John Rady. And John Rady co-wrote Driven to Distraction with Edward Hallowell. So Spark was not specifically for those of us with ADHD. It was frankly for everyone. You know, just what it did is it, It taught me about how exercise affects our brain. But because John Rady has has ADHD and he has a lot of ADHD patients, there was so much information in the book about how exercise affects ADHD. So for decades, we've all heard that we need exercise for a healthy body. Well, it turns out that we also need exercise for a healthy brain. And beyond that, we need exercise to best learn, which I had no idea that exercise was related to learning. Exercise actually leads to an increase in the level of neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin in the brain. It also sharpens our focus and improves our mood, concentration, and motivation. Episode number 10 taught me, and this is a key thought, motivation is biological. Think about that, motivation is biological. That blew me away. It has nothing to do with a weak character. What the hell? So all those times that we've been beating ourselves up because we struggle to get something done, we struggle to even get started, that's all about biology. And what happened was John Rady was seeing his ADHD patients, and he started to realize that a lot of them were smart, high-performing, high-functioning professionals. They didn't fit the ADHD stereotypes, and no one was talking about them because all the experts wanted to talk about was all the struggles around ADHD. Rady realized that these patients of his, they were successful and they had discovered on their own that they could use exercise as a way of self-medicating so they could be more productive. Dopamine and norepinephrine, that's what regulates the attention system. And these are the same neurotransmitters that stimulant medication releases to help us pay attention and focus better. Exercise increases these neurotransmitters in the ADHD brain and it does this immediately just like ADHD medication but better because it actually balances these neurotransmitters which stimulant medication does not do. Exercise also reduces our startle reflex. By the way, I didn't know this either. A high startle reflex is common among those of us with ADHD. It's because we have a highly sensitive nervous system. I also didn't know that a high startle reflex is also an indicator of anxiety. So when people come up, you know, to you from behind, you'll jump. And I remember I used to do that as a kid all the time. And my friends thought it was so funny to scare me, right? Or to, you know, touch me on the shoulder or to scream boo, because I would be the one that would startle and scream the loudest. I had no idea why I did this. The other thing that exercise does is it helps us to better regulate our emotions and it makes us less irritable. Go figure. It relieves stress, it boosts your mood, it calms your mind. And for those of us who are hyperactive, I'm raising my hand, it helps us work off excess energy and aggression. This is why I work out every single morning the minute I get out of bed. I don't know if I've told you all, but I just, my husband bought me a Peloton for my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I have just fallen in love with it because not only does it make me work out much harder, but the reason it makes me work out much harder is because there's a challenge component built in. There is no way in hell that I'm letting those 30-year-olds and even 40-year-olds beat me on the Peloton. So it's really done so much for my ADHD brain. And my goal is to create an ADHD for smart ass women Peloton ride. But I need to get myself to the point where I can, you know, I can keep up (laughs) because, you know, I've been working out for forever, as long as I can remember. But this Peloton, it definitely makes me work out harder. And I realized that I'm not as in shape as I'd hoped I was. So this is the next key thought. Exercise helps you learn. In those of us with ADHD, exercise helps us to focus, concentrate, and learn better, particularly exercise that involves structured movement like martial arts, like dance, like skateboarding. So a dose of exercise is like taking a dose of stimulant medication like Ritalin or Adderall. And for those of us who can't take stimulant medication, that is huge. Second, over time, exercise also helps us build up the machinery to increase the amount of neurotransmitters in the brain. Now, my understanding is that for Ritalin and Adderall, it actually does the opposite in our brain. So that's why exercise is so great. Working out is perhaps the most positive and efficient way to reduce our hyperactivity and inattention from ADHD. And again, so the best exercise for our brains, it's aerobic activity with complicated movements like ballet, gymnastics, dance, martial arts, skateboarding. The thought behind why these highly structured activities work so well for those of us with ADHD is that they tap into the focusing power of the fight or flight response. For the brain, when we are tapped into that fight or flight, we pay attention while learning. So we're paying attention while learning these new movements, which engages and trains our brain. Rady finds that if his patients exercise daily, they need a lower dose of stimulant medication. So, this is a key thought figure out the exercise piece first, and then weave in the stimulant medication. Episode number 12 is called Learned Helplessness and ADHD. So it turns out that ADHD women, we really struggle with learned helplessness. You know, think about it. If as a child, you're constantly told everything you do is wrong, you stop trusting yourself and you stop trying. And I've seen a lot of this in the students of my coaching program. They ask everyone else for their opinion before they'll even think about what their own opinion might be. They don't make any decisions and they literally, the minute something is difficult, They give up and they ask for help. Like they don't even try. They won't even try. And it's because they don't trust themselves. The key here is interest again. If you focus in the area that you're interested in, you will naturally be better at what you're doing. So you'll have more confidence around what you're doing. So key thought, the only way around learned helplessness, the only way to get out of that behavior is action. The more you do in those areas that you have interest in, and the more success you have in those areas, the more likely that you will learn how to finally trust yourself. In truth, and I say this all the time, you are your own best expert. Look, others know what's best for them, but what's best for them is often not what's best for you. Again, you are the expert on you. That's a key thought. (laughs) You know, delegate those areas that you're not interested in. Look, you may be a brilliant designer, but you may be terrible with the administrative tasks that you need to do in order to be able to be that brilliant designer. So delegate those administrative tasks. Don't let your weaknesses dictate what you can or can't do. Keep a list of your accomplishments. When that voice in your head focuses on the negative, pull that list out so you have facts to argue with. In our AOK coaching program, we call that list our positive emotion dossier. This is about mindset. Just because you think something does not mean that it's true. This is also why it's so important to get an ADHD diagnosis as early as possible. Once we understand why we do what we do, then we can work on changing those behaviors that we would like to change. But we need to get away from this idea that there's something broken with us or there's something wrong with us. And that's what an ADHD diagnosis does, right? It explains to us what's really going on with our brains. Episode number 16, this is one of my favorites, intuition and ADHD. Look, many of us with ADHD, we have this intuitive grasp of what others need, what others feel and what others want. And that means that sometimes we inappropriately blurt out what we're thinking. I mean, we know we can be distractible. We have trouble paying attention to what others are saying. And so we can be impulsive, right? And we shout these things out. But underlying these symptoms, it's also often the ability to read others like a book. Because we have this ability to tune into other people on a deep level, there are times we often miss their words completely. And why is that? Key thought, because our brains focus on the connections and relationships between things more than on specific bits of information. So knowing that, we then share our impressions with others and they tell us we're wrong, right? And when you're constantly told you're wrong, you start to think that you're just imagining things. But in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, no, I'm right. I know I'm right. And then months or even years later, something happens and whatever you were discussing plays out and you realize, oh my gosh, I was right all along. I knew what was going on. And this is because we see things that others either want to hide or they can't even see in themselves. I don't know if you've ever felt like you know someone better than they know themselves. Well, my purpose is to show people who they are and inspire them to be it. So I definitely feel that way. And I think that this is why we find so many therapists and coaches who have ADHD, you know, And discovering this link between interpersonal intuition and ADHD, frankly, that's also when I stopped trying so hard to make myself understood. I realized that I was upset because I could read someone's underlying motivations, but they were either A, never going to admit that to me, or B, they couldn't see it in themselves. So my trying so hard to be understood it never ultimately resolved anything. So I just kind of stopped trying. And there's nothing psychic or woo-woo about this, you know? The thought here is that ADHDers, were just so much more intuitive because our attention wanders around more. We're scanners, and this should be a key thought, right? We're scanners. And... It's kind of like when you're driving in a new area and you're paying attention to where you're going, but you're also scanning the horizon as you drive. And so you're picking up things that influence your thinking, but you don't even realize that you're actually picking them up. And then you get to your destination and someone mentions the big blue commercial building on the right. And you know exactly what they're talking about, even though you wouldn't have remembered it had someone else not brought it up, right? It's your subconscious. Intuition is a non-conscious level of thinking. And interpersonal intuition is clearly related to emotional intelligence. So because our attention wanders more, we are picking up everything. We are noticing everything. So again, this thought that we have a deficit of attention, it's so wrong because we actually have A surplus of attention. Episode number 17, the 10 things I wish I would have been told about ADHD when I was first diagnosed. Okay, key thought. I love this one. Our brains are set up to think, not remember. (laughs) Every time I hear that, and that was one of the ones that I completely forgot until I started going through all of these episodes. I think we need to really remember this. Our brains are set up to think, not remember. I'm telling you to remember something when your brain is not set up to remember. (laughs) Go figure. We need to remember this because when we see that we have working memory challenges, we start beating ourselves up thinking we should remember these things. Everyone else remembers these things. Why can't we remember these things? And it's not true. Look, Non-ADHD people, they're struggling with all this too. We have a lot going on today. So many activities, so many events, keeping up on the direct messages on the millions of apps that we currently have downloaded, like it's happening to everyone, even in COVID. (laughs) We were never required to remember all of these things and stay on top of them. And our brains are not set up to remember. They are set up to think. It's gotten markedly so much worse in the last 10 years. And so what we need to do is we need to figure out, okay, what's important to us? What are the things that we actually want to be reminded about? And then what are the workarounds that we can implement so that we get reminded about those things and we don't have to remember them ourselves? Next key thought, we have trouble starting. I already alluded to this, didn't I, when I was talking about my Datex cube. We have trouble starting, but once we start, we often can't stop. So the goal is figure out how you can start. The body double experience that I talked about in the coffee shop, getting together with a friend and socially distancing and doing a body double getting online virtually, do a Zoom call with a friend if you need to get started on something, or Focusmate. We have our own Focusmate group called ADHD for Smart Ass Women, don't we? Use the Pomodoro Method, that 25-minute Datex cube. Just understanding how my brain works made such a difference with respect to procrastination, and it just made it so much easier to start. Again, once we understand why we do what we do, then we can actually build workarounds that make our jobs and our personal life so much easier. Next key thought, and this was a big one for me, medication might not work. Several years ago, I fell into hyperfocus around medication. I am a dog with a bone when I decide that there is something that I am going to figure out. And I decided that I was going to figure out this whole medication piece. And it took me about two years of trying every medication known to man and discovering that none of them worked, meaning that the medication created more symptoms than the actual ADHD. And I think a lot of us do that. I have noticed in our Facebook group, I'll see posts where women get really frustrated around this idea that why is the medication a godsend for so many of all these other women, but for me, I can't find the right medication. And we get fixated, we go into hyper-focus over it. You just need to understand that, in fact, for 20% of us, medication just does not work. And for another 10% of us, The side effects from the medication are so bad that it's not worth it. So in effect, 30% of us get no benefit from medication. And with hindsight now, I can say that was probably not a bad thing in my particular case. It forced me to find all kinds of other alternatives that actually do work for me and work really well for me. As you know, my best alternative is exercise. And I just shared with you that John Rady and his studies... States that exercise works as well as a dose of Ritalin and a dose of Adderall. Other workarounds for me have been nature. Cognitive behavioral therapy works very well for a lot of ADHD women. Mindfulness is huge. I'm going to talk more about that in a bit. Doing something that I love, what I'm interested in. That's a huge win. And I find that when I'm working on something that I'm interested in, my focus is fantastic. Probably better than my neurotypical friend's focus. Sometimes I feel as if medication helps us to continue trying to fit in, right? We can become more like those neurotypicals who don't struggle with the focus and attention. And now I want to make clear, I am not against medication. I am jealous of those of you who medication really works for you. I think my point is, we're all different. You are the only expert on you, period. Period. And if you're finding that you are so anxious and so stressed out on medication, I just think that you have to consider the fact that maybe medication does not work for you and that there are other workarounds that will work much better. Episode 18, the 10 things I wish every teacher knew about their ADHD students. And I just have something really quick to say about this episode. Education is something you do with students, not to them. So talk to your student. Tell them what you'd like them to learn and how you're planning on going about it. And ask them for their buy-in. Do they think that what you're thinking might work? If not, what do they think will? Without a buy-in, good luck, especially when it comes to older ADHD students. These kids tend to be opinionated, individualistic, and all about authenticity. If they know you really care, if they know that you're listening to them and are willing to pitch business as usual out the window in order for them to better learn, they will truly move hell and high water to not disappoint you. The thing is, you have to really mean it because, again, These kids know when you're sincere and when they're being snowed. They are highly intuitive. Key thought. ADHD kids need more structure, not less. You know, because these kids are divergent thinkers, creatives, there may be a sense that their education should be more freeform and less structured. And I have to tell you that that's exactly what we thought about, you know, for my son. And... This couldn't be farther from the truth. We, we really learned that what he needed was much more structure, not less. You know, most of these kids, they have executive function challenges. They are challenged by organization and planning and time management. They need help in organizing their brains. They knew much better with consistency when they know what to expect. You know, it's those random assignments out of nowhere that my son would literally struggle with the most. So they need a school and they need an education where there are consistent class times. There's homework every night versus homework every fourth or fifth night. They need a way to check on how they're doing every day. You know, an online portal, someplace that they can go and figure out, okay, what assignments are due, you know, tomorrow? What tests do I have coming up? You know, these kinds of schools where, and I know my son struggled so much with this, you know, schools where the teachers would literally out loud say okay we're having a test on Thursday or you know homework's going to be due two Fridays from today that sort of lack of structure was just the end for him he needed to be able to go onto a portal and know exactly what was due when and it was in writing And it was just something that he, you know, a place he could go that he could always rely that the information was going to be accurate, the teachers were going to post on this portal, and right away that just would reduce his anxiety. And he could totally do that. He could then plan his schedule and know exactly what was going on. The other thing is ADHD kids, they have positive illusory bias. They're optimists and they always think that they're going to do better than they really are. You know, they're going to think that their grades are going to be better. They're going to think that they can get through the homework quicker than they actually can. They're going to think that it'll take less time to study for that exam than than it actually will. So that even more so, that is even a bigger reason why they need that structure. They need some place that they can go, that they can always rely on and know exactly what is due when, when are their exams, when is there a vacation, They will do so much better in a school that provides that kind of structure. So this is where I'm going to leave you this week. Next week, I'm going to start by talking about our top two most popular podcast episodes. They're both about ADHD and RSD or rejection-sensitive dysphoria. We're going to continue on, and I will share with you other key thoughts, key bits of learning that I experienced in my first 100 episodes of ADHD for Smartass Women. I do need to tell you, I promised you at the beginning that I had a 100th episode gift for you. So I need to tell you where you can find our podcast index. So if you want to learn more about ADHD and emotion, you can click on that category on our podcast index and you'll find all the episodes that have dealt with emotion. Or let's say you want to be inspired by more ADHD women, you can click on the category called Smartass ADHD Women. Or you need help on productivity and want to learn more workarounds, you can find that in the category marked productivity and workarounds. So you can find our podcast index gift at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash podcast index. That is one word. So as always, you are listening to ADHD for smart ass women. If you like this podcast, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too can discover their amazing strengths and your reviews. They totally help in that regard. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you here next week with part two of podcast episode 100. I think we'll probably still call it episode 101 though. Okay. Have a great week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smart Ass Women Podcast. I'm your host Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds.